listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues our Illuminate series. The concept of being born again is something that is very hard to understand, much like it was for the people in the early church. Listen as Brandon shares why it is important to be born again and what exactly that means for each of us. Today we are going to continue this series, Illuminate. We started a couple of weeks ago, and um, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We're looking at, last week we looked at a lot of misunderstandings about the Holy Spirit, and we talked about some of the ways that, uh, some truths that we can come to know about Him and who He is. Um, You know, one of the things I realize about the Spirit of God is this, that, that He is so multifaceted that we can never possibly cover who all, who He is in five weeks, Right? So we're just going to take a few different aspects of who he is. He is God. So how can we exhaust that in five weeks? We never could. But we want to be looking at this. A lot of times we view the Holy Spirit in this way. If you take a a light, white light, and you run it through a prism, it refracts that light, right? It, It makes it break up into all these different colors. And what we find in church a lot is that we don't view the Holy Spirit on this side of the prism where it is in its fullness and in, in, in its completeness, right? In his completeness and who he is. We view it on the other side where we often like to find our favorite color, don't we? Like some people like blue, some people like green, some people like red. And so we, we find that part of, of God literally who suits us and that we like and that makes us feel comfortable. I saw a church the other day that it was, um, I think comfort was in the name of, of the church. And I was like, hmm, I wonder how they view the Holy Spirit. Because even the name tells you a little bit about what they believe and who they are. And believing that it is um, that one aspect or that one color of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you this, he is God. We need all of him. If, if God's going to do in and through us what he desires to do, if he's going to work in and through us and the way he wants to do it, we need all of him. And we're going to look at another part of who he is today. But I want you to understand we need to embrace the Holy Spirit in his fullness, in everything, everything that the scripture teaches. Um, today we're actually going to be reading out of John chapter 3, if you want to turn there. And uh, we're going to be reading about a man named Nicodemus, and we're going to be talking about him and and some of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives um, as we come to know him and as we uh, are literally reborn. So John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and we'll talk about these. John 3, 1 through 4. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you that you are here now with us, Lord. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. Move in our hearts God, um, for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire. For those, God, who don't, I pray that their hearts would be awakened to the reality of who you are. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, real quick, I want to kind of set this message up and, kind of, and what we'll be talking about in this way. 
On the other night, we were at RJ's restaurant, and we are eating dinner. Susan, Dake, Jackson, and Reed and I are all eating dinner. And earlier that day, Susan had texted me and said, Brandon, Dake and Jackson both have to sit out 10 minutes at baseball practice. And those of you who know my children know that probably did not come as a surprise to me that they would have to sit out 10 minutes. They had gotten in trouble, and so they were both going to have to sit out 10 minutes. Well, Susan gets up to go get her salad, and I said, hey, um, Dake, Mama said you got to sit out 10 minutes at practice today. He said, yes, sir. I said, what happened? And he said, well, we're getting our hair cut. This is how Dake talks. I mean, he's like, like he, an, an adult talking to you. He said, well... We were getting our hair cut, and I wanted to go out to the car and get my homework. I said, that doesn't seem like a problem, Dake. And he goes, well, Mama wouldn't let me. And I said, well, there again, Dake, there must be more to the story than that. And he sits there for a second, and then he says, Daddy, I think that word is conclude. I said, conclude? He goes, yeah, Daddy, I think the word is conclude. I said, what are you talking about, Dake? He said, from the fact that I wanted to go out and get my homework and the fact that mama told me I couldn't, I figured you would have concluded that we had a fight. (laughs) I'm like, boy. And I mean, I couldn't even get mad. I was was laughing. I almost choked on my salad. You know what I'm saying? So fun. I mean, and here's a a nine-year-old saying this to me. But but the deal is, if we're going to understand this story, uh, from John 3, this, this account where Jesus encounters Nicodemus, there are some things that we're going to have to conclude. And there's some things that are probably uh, pretty obvious to some and not so obvious to others, kind of like my conversation with Dave. It was obvious to him that I should have concluded from past history that he had had a fight with his mother. But there's some things that you and I need to conclude if we're going to come to the, an understanding of what this means. I mean, here Nicodemus is. He comes up to Jesus. He comes by night. He's trying to not let the other Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day, know what's going on. He comes up to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, listen, it is apparent to us. We have concluded that you are a teacher sent from God. No one could do these things if they were not from God. And he said, and then Jesus, because you know, Nicodemus complimented him so much, He discloses everything in the kingdom to him, right? No, he's like, well, you know, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born again. And see, we've heard that language, so it doesn't sound that strange to us. But can you imagine if you were Nicodemus and you come to Jesus, you give him a compliment, and then he goes like Yoda on you and starts saying all this crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? He's like, unless you're born again, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is confused. And we read, oftentimes read the Bible as flat words on a flat page. And so we read it like this. How can a man be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. But look at the end of that sentence in verse 4. This got an exclamation mark. I mean, this dude, he's frustrated. He's confused. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I'm sensing that there's something different about you. I'm sensing that there's something that, that has, has been sent by God in you, that you are different. What are you talking about? Being born again. And the thing that I find so many times in church and so many times in, in, in our Christian lives is that even us as Christians, we really don't know what being born again means, do we? Even people in the church, we've been in church for 15, 20, 30, 40 years. We don't know what it means to be born again. And that's what I want to look at with you today because it is imperative that we understand what being born again is. This is crucial for us. 
You know, it's funny because even the, the term born again has taken on a negative connotation, hasn't it? Think about it. When people talk about being born again, usually it's not in a good way. Right? We're born again Christians. You know what I'm saying? And the only way it took on a negative connotation is because of born again Christians. And this is what I would say. If we are causing people to look at being born again in a negative way, it's not only because we have not understood it, it's because we have not experienced it. Because being born again and experiencing the good news of the gospel, not just knowing about it, but experiencing it, it is the most beautiful, the most incredible experience that anybody can have. We think about having children and what an incredible experience it is to watch new life come into the world. What we need to understand is that when somebody trusts Jesus as their Savior, when they put their trust in Him as their sacrifice, as their um, atonement for sin, as the one who literally bought them back from the hand of Satan, listen, it's just as miraculous, even more so, that someone is born again into the kingdom of God, that they literally step across the threshold of eternity and go from death to life. That's why we celebrate that here. Like nobody would have a new baby and be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like if you watched your children being born, you were like, holy cow. That is amazing. And the spiritual reality is that when somebody trusts in Christ as their Savior, they literally go from death to life. That's what Scripture teaches. And that's what for many of us we've experienced is new life given through Jesus. And so I want us to really be able to understand this. And I believe if we're going to understand it, we really need to go back to the beginning of, of, of creation. We need to go back to the very beginning. And if you'll, you can turn to Genesis 3. We're going back to John 3 later. But Genesis chapter 3, you can turn there. We're going to read verses 1 through, I believe, 8 um, is what we're going to look at. But I want to set it up. Most of you probably know the background of this story. It's where God has placed Adam and Eve in a perfect garden, a perfect place. Everything is awesome. They've got all the food they want. God gave them, what, one commandment. And he said, listen, don't eat that one, of that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just don't eat from that tree. And then we pick up in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Listen to this. Enter Satan. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
The first thing that I believe we have to conclude if we're going to really understand being born again, this process that the theologians have called regeneration, where the Spirit of God regenerates our heart, He gives us new birth. If we're really going to understand that, the first thing that we have to conclude is that sin equals death. Sin equals death. And then, listen, it's not just physical death, which I get this all the time. You've heard me say this before. People say, well, Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit and they didn't die. But here's the question I would ask you. Y'all had Adam and Eve over for coffee any time lately? A little game of Uno or something? I mean, no. They're dead. They literally died. But there was also a spiritual death. Listen, they were separated from God. If you flip over, well, in my Bible, you flip over. It may be on the same page in yours. But in my Bible, if you flip over to verses 22 and 23, it says, And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And so here we see that sin not only caused physical death, they were not allowed to eat from the tree of life, to live forever, but they were also banished from the garden, which meant they were banished from God's presence. The perfect fellowship that they had had with the Lord up to that time was done away with. It was no more. And so sin caused death. Did it cause physical death? Yes. But did it also cause spiritual death? Yes. It caused, because it caused eternal separation from the life giver himself. So they were spiritually separated from God. So here's another conclusion that we need to make. That if sin equals death, both physical and spiritual, then we better not sin. Oops. Right? Oops. Have you ever done something you wish you had not done? All of us have. I did it a week ago. Most of you know that my father-in-law owns Snooky's Restaurant. Well, Snooky's Restaurant closed. is no more. CVS, thankfully, exists, and they will now be where Snooky's Restaurant was. So we have been on our own for eating. You'll probably know where I'm going with this. So much so that, that the other day, my, my, my middle son Jackson's at my mom and dad's, and, and Jackson calls my mom Grammy. Um, and they're sitting there, and he's eating. And like he's not usually a big eater, but he is just stuffing his face with food. I mean, pounding the food in. And my mom's like, Jackson, you must be starving. And he looks at my mom, and he goes, Grammy, I've been starving ever since Snooky's closed. And so the other night we're sitting at our dinner table and Susan cooked some apricot chicken. <clears throat> Susan cooked some apricot chicken and, 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 and she puts it out. We're, we're eating the plates full. Man, I ate every bite. And then Susan looks at me and she says, do you like it? And I said, I ate it all, didn't I? And she said, but did you like it? I said, do you really think I would have eaten all of it if I didn't like it? And from somewhere, she just loses. It's like, I'm never cooking again. 
I was like, honey, I ate it all. Clean my plate. She's like, but did you? No. Did you like? It would have just been easier to lie. I'm just telling you. I should have just said, honey, it was awesome. And she cooked some things that were really good. It's just one thing. And, and, and I wish that I could go back and just be like, yum. I don't know. I don't know what I would do, but just something, you know, because now I look back at it and I'm like, oh man, and I wish I hadn't done that. And sin in our life is so much like that. Yeah, if we could go back and make it all perfect, wouldn't it be awesome if we could go back and take back those things that we did that were against God, that separated us from God. But the fact of the matter is that the Bible is very clear in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So it is therefore too late. In fact, Romans 5.12 tells us, and I want to read this one to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. In other words, we're all dead apart from Christ. At this point in our story, we are all dead. We are all dead. And so sin entered. It came in through Adam. And yet we are all guilty. We've all sinned. If we could go back and erase it, you know what the problem would be? We still couldn't live perfect in the future. So we were sinful in our past. We're sinful in our present. And then we're sinful in the future. And so basically the bottom line is we are all in trouble. Like we're in big stinking trouble. Because we've all been separated from God. Holy God. He's perfect in every way. And I want to tell you, just like there's no differing degrees of dead, there's no differing degrees of sin. Right? I know you couldn't look at one person and go, wow, they're dead. They're, They're deader than that person that's dead. You're dead. You're dead. And when we look at this, we realize, man, if, if we sin, then we're dead. I was at the gym this week, and I talked to a guy, and he may be here today, I don't know. And I talked to a guy, and, and he was talking about, you know, his past and, and just how you know, he really seemed to be struggling with this, this idea that God could forgive him. And, and, and I was like, listen, man, if God can forgive me, he can forgive anybody. He's like, no, and I hear this all the time. He's like, no, you don't understand the things that I've done. And this is what I tell you, especially if he's, I don't know if he's here or not, but for you who are sitting there and you're thinking, if they knew what I'd done, what, man, they wouldn't even let me in this building. Or for you who are sitting there and you're thinking, there's no way God could forgive me. Let me, let me tell you and trust me, God is bigger than your sin. God is bigger than your past. God is bigger than your moral failures. In fact, one of the problems in the church is that we've tried to force people to a moral change instead of pointing them to a spiritual change. Because if we can get to the place where we allow God to change our heart, change our spirit, change us at the core of who we are, morality just seems to follow. But we've tried to make people moral without dealing with the issue, which is our heart. The Bible says that all of our hearts are evil. Every one of us. So we're all in the same predicament, dead. There are no degrees of dead. You're either alive or dead. And at this point, in every one of our stories, we can conclude that we are dead. Period. 
I want you to get a, a mental picture of this. So I want to read another scripture to you. It's out of Ezekiel 37. And, and, and I want you to kind of see a, a visual of what this is about. What this spiritual death literally looks like. And what God promises to do about it. In Ezekiel 37 it says this in, in verse 1. Ezekiel, if you'll look through there, go to Isaiah. Find Isaiah, Jeremiah, go right, you'll hit it. It says in, in Ezekiel 37... Verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. That's kind of creepy, right? Like just, he's in the middle of a bunch of bodies laying everywhere, a bunch of bones laying strung out through this valley. He said, he led me back and forth among them. So now he's having to walk around in them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. In other words, God, why are you asking me this? I don't know. They look dead to me. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your, your, you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them then he said to me prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come from the four winds O breath and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and breathe and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back from the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Man, y'all just read that, right? Because isn't it awesome that Ezekiel is standing there and he has a vision. God gives him this vision of a spiritual reality. And he sees all of the slain, all of the dead. And it even says that they were dry bones. Listen, they were deader than dead. They'd been there for a while. Dead. And the Lord says, listen, prophesy. And he begins to prophesy and say the things that God told him to say. And Isaiah in his vision begins to see the flesh come on and the tendons come on. And the, the bones begin to come back together. And things are being put together. And then there, there, there's bodies. They're there. But there's still no life. And what I would ask you is this. At what point do they come alive? When the Spirit of God enters them. It's the same thing that happens in Genesis when God is making mud pies and he forms them into shape of a person and he gets down on his hands and his knees and he breathes life into them. In Ezekiel, 600 years before the birth of Christ, we see God prophesying a day when he would literally breathe new life into us to create a people 
that would be distinctly his. Isn't that awesome? You ever watch TV and, and it'll have this thing that comes on and it's like the disclaimer. It's like, due to some graphic material, your discretion is advised. You know what I'm saying? What's cool about God is before God gives him this vision of the reality of where the people are, he gives him this, this, this sort of disclaimer in Ezekiel 36. And this is where it really gets interesting because God tells him what he's going to do. And then he literally gives him this tangible vision that, that he can wrap his mind around to show him what's going to happen. That dead people are literally got, like Ezekiel was the first person that ever was like, I see dead people. You know what I'm saying? But before he did that, God tells him in Ezekiel 36 that he's going to do a work in our hearts that's going to bring us to life, that we'll experience true life through God and through his work. The thing that I want to tell you in Ezekiel 36 is this. God says, I, 30 times. He's, the word I is used in Ezekiel 30. I know I counted them. Took me a while to count that high, but I counted them. 30 times, God says, I'm going to do it. It's important that we understand that. Why? Because what can a dead person do for themselves? Absolutely nothing. That means that God did it all. Does that not show us the grace and the mercy and the love of God? That while we were dead in our sins and transgressions, God took it upon himself to come to us, to breathe life into us and make us alive. If that's not an awesome picture of grace and mercy, I don't know what is. He has made us alive. In this chapter, it, it really climaxes in, in Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27. And I want you to hear this, what God says. He says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your immoralities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move, to follow, move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I want you to see this and understand this because this is what happens when we are born again. This is what happens when we are saved. We come to a place where God's spirit comes into us. The first thing he does is in verse 24 is he cleanses us of our past. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will make you clean so that all those things in your past have been cleansed because of your faith in Christ. The righteousness of Jesus that we cannot live out, that he lived out for us is it covers that past. That's good news, isn't it? The next thing it says is that I will, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. It says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. In other words, not only am I going to take care of your past, but I'm going to take care of your present because right now I'm going to cleanse you of your impurities. And this is the thing I know. Everybody in here has impure motives. We have impure thoughts. We have impure desires. We say things that are impure. There's not one person in here who does not need to be cleansed from their impurities. The final thing that he says is he says, I will put my spirit in you. He says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. 
And when I put my spirit in you, I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So not only is God saying, I'm going to take care of your past, but I'm going to cleanse you of your impurities in the future. And I'm going to move in such a way in your life that in the future, you're going to begin to live a different way. So God then has taken care of our past. He's taken care of our present and he's taken care of our future. That's a good God. Because see, here's the thing. Like when I said, here's the thing, that was the past. You see what I'm saying? That's covered. Like that second, it's gone, it's covered. Right now where I'm at in my present, it's covered. And because God is eternal and his sacrifice is eternal, my future is also covered so that nothing can take me away from the love of God. Covered by the righteousness of Jesus that I cannot earn, that I cannot attain apart from him. And God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm literally going to make you a new creation. I'm going to make you new. And we become this new creation. Let's go back to John chapter 3. I want to read verses 5 through 7. Jesus answered. Now this is after he says, how can you be born again? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying. You must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying, Ezekiel, Nicodemus, why are you surprised that I'm telling you you need to be born again? You're a Pharisee. You know the scripture better than anybody. You know what Ezekiel said 600 years ago, that that there's going to be a day when, when God comes and he covers your sin. He cleanses your sin. He puts a new heart in you. He puts a new spirit in you. And he begins to lead you into following his decrees and his command. And basically what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is this. Why are you surprised? That thing Ezekiel talked about, it's now. And the one who's going to do it is standing in front of you. And that's why he says you have to be born of water. You've got to be cleansed. And you have to be born of the spirit. He says flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, only the spirit of God can give new birth to our spirit. And Jesus is saying, why does this surprise you, Nicodemus? This was foretold hundreds of times of years ago and I want you to understand that that time is now that the one who's going to do this is standing before you Nicodemus is still confused and so Jesus Jesus wants to clarify things right he's going to make it perfectly clear right here verse 8 Jesus says The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus goes, ah, now I have it. That clarify anything? Like when you first, no. Nicodemus even goes on and he says, how can this be? He still doesn't understand. And I probably wouldn't either. 
But what Jesus is saying is, listen, Nicodemus, this thing's a mystery. You can't wrap your mind around what God does inside a person's heart. In fact, he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you feel it. You know it's there. You know it happens. And for those of us who have experienced that in our lives, you know the reality of the Spirit of God awakening you to new life. Some of you didn't even see it coming. It just happened. Maybe one day you walked into a church service, you heard the gospel, and you're like, yeah, that's what I know God's calling me to that. And you felt it. And it changed your heart. You didn't know where it came from, where it goes, but the Spirit of God moved in your life and you felt it and you know that He changed your life. Not one person in the Scripture decided to follow Jesus that their life was not radically changed. They surrendered themselves, heart and soul, to Christ and their lives were not radically changed. So He says it's a mystery. Something that only God can do. Something that only God does. Something you'll never wrap your mind around. And yet God changes our heart. And he changes us at the core of who we are. The thing I want to tell you today, though, guys, listen. It's a mystery. It's an intangible work of God as far as we can't see it happen. We don't, we don't see it. But what I will tell you is this. You can know. And this is what I would also tell you, you will know. If you met somebody famous, like I don't know who it is, think about your, most, your favorite person that, man, if I could meet somebody, oh, it'd be awesome if I could meet blank. Most of you thought of Justin Bieber, I know, but that's probably who you thought of. But think about that. That, that one person that would just make you go, oh, awesome. You'd walk back, you'd come back, and you know what, for, for at least a time period of time, your life would be different. You would tell everybody about meeting that person. How much more so if we encounter the God of the universe, is our life impacted, and are we going to be changed from that experience? It's the same thing times a gazillion. There are lives are changed and there's tangible evidence real quick in the next 10 minutes i'm going to tell you this i want to give you five things real quick that you will see in your life when you've been born again when the spirit of god has come into your life and changed your heart i want to tell you real quick these five things i'm gonna pull them out of first john the first one first john 2 6 listen it says in five, it says, this is how we know we are in him. And verse six says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. The first one is that God's character becomes evident in your life. Now, do you become Jesus? No, I doubt any of us have ever been confused for Jesus. But the reality of it is, progressively, we become more like him. We begin to walk as Jesus walks. As Jesus walked when he was on earth. In fact, Galatians 5, and 23 tells us this, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we follow Christ, as our hearts are changed and God does this work in our hearts, we begin to manifest the attributes of God in our lives. And it's not like you just get one fruit. It's not like a fruit basket, right? Where God's like, I think I'll give them an apple. You get the fruit of the Spirit. It is the, the, 
very presence of God that is in you, that has been given to you, that begins to work itself out of you. You begin to manifest the character and attributes of God. Now listen, you, you, you don't like instantly become perfect, right? But over time, you begin to manifest the character and attributes of God. Why? Because the spiritual seed has been planted within you and it begins to grow and it begins to produce fruit and you begin to manifest the character and attributes of God. Second one. Listen to this, John, 1 John 3, 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Uh Uh-oh. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh uh-oh. Like, we can't sin. I'm done for. (laughs) Like, must not be born again. Must not have the Spirit of God. But let's balance this out. Listen, uh, in 1 John 1, 8 through 10, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word has no place in our lives. And so here's the deal. He's like, on one hand, it seems like he's saying, if you continue to sin, you don't know him. But if you claim you're without sin, then you're a liar. So which one is it? What the Bible's teaching us in in, uh, 1 John 3 is he's telling us, listen, you will not continue in a sin, in a habitual sin. In other words, when you begin to walk away from God, because you need to understand you cannot follow Jesus and follow sin at the same time. They are in opposite directions. When you begin to walk away from God, moving in a sin, there will be a conviction in your life, not condemnation. Listen, condemnation attacks the person, conviction attacks the sin. You will begin to walk away from God. You will know in your heart, this isn't right. God help me. And you'll know I need to turn back to God because there'll be conviction in your life. I remember when I first started living for God, man, which I'm coming up now like my 13 year anniversary. I actually have it on my calendar. It was like celebrate every time. I'm like, woo! God actually saved me. Hey, hallelujah. You know, thank God. If he can save me, he can save me, buddy. And but the reality was when I started living for God, I came back and I wanted everybody to know like this encounter I had with God and, and I wanted everybody to see it. And so I'd been gone for a weekend. I come back on Monday morning. This is when I was in the roofing business. And I go up on the roof and, and you know, I, 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 we're putting on some wall panels on this, this real high building. And I'm up there and, and I'm down on my hands and knees and I'm trying to put a screw into this metal wall panel. And the, the, the drill slips off of the screw and goes through my finger like right through the edge of my finger. I'm born again. And so because I'm born again, the first thing out of my mouth is like Hail Mary, Mother of Grace, right? No, I cuss like a sailor. And then I was like, oh, I felt guilty. I'm like, now, and everybody's like, we thought you were a follower of Jesus. I'm like, The reality was, listen, my heart, I was renewed. I was born again. But you know, our life is progressively being made more like Christ. The first one, we, be, we progressively begin to manifest the attributes and the character of God. But we aren't made perfect instantly. God begins to work the perfection out of our lives that he's already placed into our lives. So that what we are begins to be worked out of us. But nobody's made perfect. 
I'm amazed at how many Christians, like, like people, they'll be in the bars and, and like they're, they're living it up like, like crazy. I mean, they're the worst of the worst. You know what I'm saying? Like this, we would look at them and go, wow, they are de- they're going to blow the gates of hell wide open. They come to know Jesus and then all of a sudden they stand in judgment of everybody else. I'm like, a week ago, you were the biggest, you know, Hades razor there is. And now all of a sudden, we can stand in judgment of other people? I'm telling you, the church's job is not to look down our nose at people who haven't had the same revelation and understanding that we have. It's to try to lift them up to where God has taken us. It's not to kick them while they're down. I mean, how, how terrible would it be to kick a dead person? Right? Our job is to lift them up. Our job is to show them the love of God. To let them see who we were before we were made alive in Christ. And there's no room for pride because we didn't have anything to do with it. It's by God. And it's through us, but it's all His work. So we need to realize that as we come into this relationship with God and we're born again, we will not continue to sin. But we also have to realize that we're in that place of continually being made perfect. The third one is out of John 3.14. I love this one. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Number three, you'll have a genuine Christ-like love for other people. A genuine Christ-like love for others. How many of y'all, like, when you first started going to church, like, the people you were the most afraid of were the Christians? You know what I'm saying? It's like you walked in, and, and it was like, you can't be doing that moonwalk up into church. And you're like, dang, just don't. Sorry. Them drums, that's from the devil. Them foosball, you can't play foosball either. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, you just didn't know everything was from the devil until you went to church, Right? And people are just not nice. And listen, the deal is when God changes our heart, the reality of our heart changes this, that we begin to care about what God cares about. We begin to love what God loves. And the thing that God loves more than anything are his people. Go read Luke 15. There's three different stories of things that were lost. And then things that are found. And one is a son, one is a coin, one is a a sheep. And in all cases, once they're found, then God says there's a celebration that takes place. There's literally a party that goes on in heaven. And that is the reality when one of God's creation, one of God's people comes to recognize who he is, that the Spirit of God awakens their heart and they turn from their own ways and turn to his ways and they begin to follow him and they are literally born again, made anew in in their heart. Heaven celebrates. And if heaven celebrates, we're going to celebrate. And that's the reality. That God takes us from death to life. But when we go from death to life and God recreates our heart, we become a people that care about what God cares about and love what God loves. And God loves people. The fourth one out of 1 John 5, 3. says, this is love for God. To obey his commands. And listen, his commands are not burdensome. The fourth one is you begin to delight in delighting God. You begin to delight in delighting God. And he says his commands aren't burdensome. 
You ever been in a situation where things look different on one side than the other? Like maybe when you were an employee, the boss was always screwing everything up until you became a boss. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden it was like, wow, my bad. Or like you, you, you always found fault with church leadership until you became a leader in the church. You know what I'm saying? And then you're like, no wonder he's crazy. You know what I'm saying? And so things look different on one side than the other. And the same is the, is the same reality when we look at Jesus and we look at um, this rebirth that happens in our life. Before the cross, before we come to know him, before our, our rebirth, we're on this side of the cross. We read his word. We see his commands. We see the things he wants us to do. We see who he wants us to be. And in our heart, in our gut, it is burdensome. Like, God, Really? But there's something that happens as we go to the other side of the cross and God gives us new birth in our heart and in our lives. Something happens that we look at those same commands, those same words that have come alive in our heart and we realize that they are for our good. We realize that it's the best way to live. We realize that it is delighting God when we delight in doing the things he's called us to do. And our heart's cry is simply, I want to delight you, God. We perfect no. But there's something in us that at the end of the day, we may buck and we may kick, but at the end of the day, we want to live for God. So we begin to delight in delighting God. The last one, 1 John, verse 4. His commands are not burdensome. Verse 4 says this, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. The fifth one is that we persevere in the faith. We've been born again. We persevere in the faith. It means we keep moving. We overcome by God working in our hearts. We overcome through others being a part of our lives. That's why connect groups are so important. Because you can't, you can't live this life by yourself. So you need to be in a small group. You need to have fellowship with other people. You can't do life alone. You were not created for that. And so even, listen, even when things come up against us, even when we are pressed, we're not crushed, when we're perplexed, you know, we don't despair. We're persecuted. We know we're not abandoned. Why? Because we know that 1 John 4, 4 is true. That greater is he in me than he who is in the world. And there's something in us that tells us, just hold on. You can do this. Keep going. You've overcome. And how have we overcome? By our faith. Because of our faith in Christ, the gift of God, that we've placed our trust in Jesus. And in that, we have received his spirit. And it is greater than anything we can come in contact with in this world so we persevere in the faith we continue we press ahead we fan into flame the spirit of God that's been placed inside of us and we continue to move even when we can't clearly see where we're going and there are probably people in here right now you're perplexed in other words you're in a place where you're not sure what's coming down the pipe. You don't really know what's going to happen. Or your job or your family or things are going awry. This is what I would say. You may be perplexed, but don't despair. God is in you and he'll bring you through. 
Trust in him. Place your faith in him. Look at his track record. It's been pretty good. The sun came up again this morning. He is faithful. And if you are born, there's something on the inside of you that says, I can keep going. And it's hard sometimes, but you know that there is one who is greater than you that has your back. I'll end with this. Um, one of the things that, that's very common around our house is, is uh, a lot of, of uh, I'll call it rough housing. Susan's got four boys in the house, including me. And one of the things we love to do is wrestle. In fact, a lot of nights I'll walk in the door and they just start throwing off clothes because for some reason they like to wrestle in their underwear. I don't know why. But they start shucking clothes and they're like, daddy, let's wrestle, daddy, let's wrestle. I'm like, okay, let's go wrestle. You know, worn out. Go, go but get back there and we get on the bed, drive Susan crazy. Because covers are flying, pillows are flying. And now even Reed's getting into the action, right? He's 15 months old. He's like, uh, you know, and he just kind of comes and falls on us. And Susan's running around. She's like, no, doctor, somebody's going to get hurt. I'm like, Susan, why would you think anybody's going to get hurt? Because they have the last 300 times y'all have done. You know, somebody always ends up crying. That's how we know when it's over because they start crying. And it's like full of, uh, you know, like wedgies, noogies, purple nurples, the whole deal, you know. I mean, it's just, it's like no holes bar. And you know what's funny? Is I'm like 400 and 0 in our wrestling matches. They ain't beat me yet. And I think I got at least another good three or four years before they're going to get me. And the reality of it is they can't defeat me because I'm so much bigger than they are. And the thing I want you to understand today is nothing in your life can defeat you when you have been born again by the Spirit of God because God is so much bigger than whatever it is in your life that you're facing. Sin nor death could hold him down. The tomb is empty. God is victorious. And we place our trust in him. We too become victorious. Our life is not defined by our circumstances. Our life is defined by our position in God. And if you are in Christ, the Bible says we have already been seated in heavenly places. I would tell you this, if you are born again, a believer in Jesus, and God has given you new life, take heart for you have overcome the world. It's the work of God. What an awesome thing to know that no matter what, we win to know that we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from a place of victory. Isn't that awesome? God has done that for us. That even when he was put on a cross, died a violent death, all of sin was placed upon his body and the punishment that was due us was put upon him. He died the death of a criminal, was put in a tomb, three days later the spirit of God breathed new life into his body and he walked out victorious overcoming sin and death forever and now for you and I 
we put our trust, our faith, our confidence in him and not in ourselves and our own ability, you and I become overcomers. You and I win. And you and I gain the greatest treasure in all creation, God himself. The old is gone, the new has come. We're made new in him. That's what God has done for us. That's being born again. It's when all all things are made new. It affects the whole person. A new creation in Christ. Let's pray.